Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It is often a passage that is read at the beginning of Advent because it points to the birth of Christ without quite telling the story. And it says in your bulletin or online that uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 3, but I hope everybody won't mind if I give you just a little bit of extra Bible this morning. So we're going to take it all the way through verse 5. Don't get antsy. Hear now this word of the Lord from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So traditionally, I know that it is the preacher's job to explain the scriptures but I hope you won't mind if I ask you, do you have any idea what we just read? Do you have any idea what it could possibly mean? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When I read that from the Bible, we nod along and say, yes, that sounds very sage. But if I spoke to you in a regular conversation that way, if I said, what you need to understand is that the word is God and the word is with God, you would walk away from that conversation. And you would say that the pastor seems pretty nice. But it doesn't make any sense. I would not say, I am with Michael. Because I am Michael. And I would not say, Fran, that you are Randy. You are with each other, but you are not each other. Now, if you really press me, I could come up with an explanation for John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But every explanation I could come up with really boils down to me saying something like, not really. I could tell you, well, you know, like John doesn't mean that the word was God, not really. But I won't say that because the word is Jesus and Jesus really is God. God with us, Emmanuel, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, Jesus really is God. So then I'm tempted to say, well, John doesn't really mean that the word was with God. Not really. And to prove that to you, I could do what preachers love to do when they need to prove something that they can't. I could tell you, I'm going to go back to the original Greek. And I could find some obscure definition of the word with that's only used once ever in all of ancient Greek. And I could redefine withness for you. And I can tell you, John's really just using a metaphor here. And I could try to convince you that I know what I'm talking about. I could come up with an explanation 
for what it means that the word was with God and the word was God. I could explain that to you if I really wanted to. But can I tell you, I don't want to. I'd rather not, if that's okay with you. I'd rather just say, both of these things are true. And maybe you think that's exactly what's wrong with a certain kind of preacher. You come to us for straight answers and we won't give you one. But of course, I think I am giving you the straight answer. And I think that John is giving us the straight answer. John meant it when he wrote that the word was with God. And John meant it when he said that the word was God. Both these things are true. And in my defense, it is not just weird people like preachers who talk this way. Scientists do it too. Especially the scientists who look at the stars. There's some scientists who when they look at the stars, they think big. We call these scientists astrophysicists. And when they look up at the stars, they think big thoughts. They look up at the night sky and they wonder how big the universe really is. And they wonder what moves the planets. And how long the starlight has been moving through all the universe and how long it took to get from that star to the back of your retina. And they wonder about the gravity that twists and turns and stretches that light on its way. And they wonder at the scope and the scale of the great cosmic dance. And they wonder about the forces that hold it all together. And other scientists, when they look at the stars, they think small. We call them quantum physicists. And they wonder about the smallest things you can imagine. And then they wonder about some things that are even smaller than that. They tell us that the stars and your body are made up of atoms. And that atoms are made up of protons and electrons and neutrons. And that protons and electrons and neutrons are made up of leptons and quarks. And those must be made up of something else, but we don't know what it is yet. And the big thinkers, they have a theory. They call it relativity. You might have heard of it. And they use this theory all the time. They use it to do really useful things for us. And the small thinkers, they have a theory. They call it quantum mechanics. Maybe you heard about it in the Ant-Man movies. And the big thinkers, they use their theory all the time. They use it to predict the flight of spaceships and to bake GPS satellites. And the small thinkers use their theory to make atomic clocks and computer chips. And we really benefit a lot from the big thinkers and the small thinkers both these days. But here's the thing. The big thinkers have their theories, and the small thinkers have their theories, and each one says that the other's theory is impossible. Relativity doesn't work unless you pretend that quantum mechanics is a fraud. In quantum mechanics, the theory doesn't work unless you pretend that relativity is impossible. And both of these stories that we tell ourselves about the stars are somehow true, but we can't hold them together in our minds. And what I'm trying to say is that Christmas is a lot like physics. And it's not your fault if you're having a hard time keeping it all together. Maybe you find yourself 
incredibly excited about the weeks that are ahead of us, and maybe you are also feeling like it is more stress than you could physically handle right now. And both these things can be true. And maybe you are making all kinds of plans, and you are also mentally preparing yourself to throw all your plans out the window if a loved one gets COVID and is quarantined for 14 days, and all of a sudden you have to throw all the plans out and make it all up on the fly. Both these things are true. Maybe you lost someone this year. And maybe you are dreading your first Christmas without them. And maybe you are also hoping that this new year will finally give you some relief from the unrelenting sorrow. And maybe you never want to forget, but you also cannot bear up under what you are feeling right now. And both these things can be true. Maybe your kid, who is totally excited about what might be waiting under the Christmas tree. And maybe you also know, or at least have a sneaking suspicion, that what you really want for Christmas isn't something that can be bought or delivered by Santa and it won't fit under a tree. And both these things can be true. And what I'm saying is it's not your fault if you're having a tough time holding it together this Christmas. And what I want you to hear more than anything is that God is the one who holds together everything we cannot. When scientists believe two things that seem like they can't both be true, they call that a paradox. And when we Christians believe two things that seem like they can't both be true, our word for that is a mystery. We talk about mysteries a lot here in the church. When we take communion, we talk about the mystery of faith, that Christ is died, but Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. We talk about a mystery of how is it that God can be three in one? And around about this time of year, we talk about a very particular mystery that we call the mystery of the incarnation, the unexplainable truth that God is with us in Jesus and that in Jesus, we see someone who is fully human and fully divine. And we'll get to that mystery in a few weeks. I don't want to spoil it for you, but please understand that by the time we get to Christmas, I do not expect to have explained the incarnation to you. I do not expect you to understand what it means that Jesus is fully human and fully God. I just know that both these things are true. And so I believe that God holds together the things that we can't. And over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about how God holds together some of the great paradoxes and mysteries of our faith. We'll talk about how the kingdom is already here and also not yet here. We'll talk about how we can be simultaneously blessed beyond measure and pressed beyond what we can bear. And we'll talk about how God is the creator of all the stars in the universe and yet is still held in something as small as a manger or even our own heart. And as we keep this Christmas together, 
We will see all manner of ways that God holds together everything we cannot. And again, I freely confess that I don't expect any of us to understand any of these mysteries any better than we do at the beginning. But I do have a very particular and single-minded hope for these weeks ahead of us. I hope that in our prayers, in our worship, in our devotions, in our conversations with one another, in our Christmas Eve services, and in the Christmas wrapping demolition derby that follows the next day, that we will recover a sense of wonder. I am praying for wonder this year because I think there is too little of it in the world. And I think that some of us have lost our sense of wonder without even realizing it. Sometimes it's easy to realize when you've lost your sense of wonder. We all know somebody who's become so cynical, so resentful, so apathetic, that nothing surprises them anymore. They're only ever disappointed or willing to say, yeah, that's what I expected. They don't expect anything to change for the better. And they lost their wonder when they lost their hope. But there's another, more subtle way you could lose your wonder. You could lose your wonder when you forget that you need hope. When it feels like you've got it all figured out. When you quit longing for anything and desperately looking for the hope that only God can give. If you worry more about losing what you have than you long for what you have not yet seen, then you've lost your sense of wonder. And here's another test of wonder. When you talk about God, do you delight in the things that confuse you? Or do you resent them? Because if you only praise God for what makes sense to you, you are not giving God your wonder. Let me put it another way. You can worship God's might or you can worship God's glory. And both things are true here. You can worship God's might because God is mighty. And by mighty, I mean to say that God is the best. God is the strongest, God is the most righteous, and many times that is how we first come to know God. We want God because we want something better than ourselves or what we see around us. We expect God to be the wisest king who always makes the right decision. We praise God for being the best warrior and the strongest warrior, and we take comfort that there is no bully so big it would beat God. Or maybe we love God because we think God is the nicest. He never leaves anyone out. He never runs out of patience. You can know you are talking about God's might when you talk in superlatives. Best, strongest, wisest, nicest. And it's good that God is mighty. It's good to know that no power in the world can overcome God in the end. It is good to know that God wins the victory. But if we never encounter God's glory, we will never know what God's victory looks like. We will not understand what kind of victory God wants to win. Because God is not just better than we are. 
God is fundamentally different. God longs to change our hearts because ours are not like God's. We don't just need improvement to be like God. We would have to be different. When we truly encounter the heart of God, we won't just find ourselves saying, we won! But when we encounter the heart of God, we will discover that God is playing an entirely different game than we are. When we see God's glory, we will fall to our knees and we will say with the Psalms, your ways are too wonderful for me. It's like the great hymn writer, Charles Wesley said, when God finds us, we become lost all over again. Changed from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our place, we will cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder love and praise we can explain a god of might a god of might is like us just better but a god of glory will leave us speechless and if we can recover our sense of wonder this advent we may become a bit more like god's own mother mary And if that seems mysterious to you, though we could call Mary God's mother, bear with me. We'll get there in a few weeks. But now I want you to think towards Christmas Eve when you will hear those oh-so-familiar words from the Gospel of Luke that we tell every year, the Christmas story. You're going to hear about the shepherds who visited the manger. We will hear about how they went away rejoicing. And then my prayer is that you will feel it in your souls when we get to the last line where Luke tells us Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Because that's all you can do with a mystery. You can't explain it. You can't figure it out, but you can ponder it. You can contemplate it. You can behold it and look at it and wonder. The way your eye can't help but look at a light when it shines in darkness. And when the true light of God shines in the darkness, it reveals all kinds of things that are true, even the things that we don't like to admit, even the things that we think we're supposed to hide. When the light comes and invites us to see our joys and our sorrows, our highest hopes and our deepest disappointments, our best laid plans and our worst case scenarios. And when the light comes and shines on all these things, we find that God is in the middle of all of them. And though we may never understand it or explain it, we can at least catch a glimpse of a God who is justice and mercy, a lion and the lamb, entirely beyond us and entirely with us. And we can hear that the word that was with God and was God from the very beginning is with us now, and we might catch a glimpse of all that God has been holding together for us from the very beginning. And we might believe that all these things are true.
So this Advent, let us learn to worship God for his glory even more than his might. Let us give thanks for the mysteries and not resent or ignore what we do not yet understand. And above all, let's not lose our sense of wonder. And when you think of all that you are struggling to hold together, do not be afraid. God can keep together all the things that we cannot. And when we cannot hold it together, God holds us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that keeps us from fully taking hold the presence of God and everywhere that God shows up is all the things that we do cling to because we think they are our security. They may be our faults, but at least we know them. So as we prepare to come and receive a holy mystery, I invite us to open our hands and let go of what we have held to. Ready to turn in your bulletin and pray with me the prayer of confession. Merciful God, We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hear the good news and wonder at the mystery of it. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. When we consider all that God has given us, and most particularly the gift of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that saves, how could we help but give gratitude back to God? As we hear our offering offertory this morning, I invite you to consider how you will offer your life to Christ this week. And there are many, many ways to make such an offering, but if you'd like to make a financial gift, you can prepare it and place it in the plates on your way out, or if you're joining with us online, you can make your gift online dolphinwayumc.org It is astonishing to think that we could give anything to God who needs nothing. But what a marvelous mystery that God allows us to join in the work anyway. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit let us give our thanks.